Welcome to Great Minds with Michael Medved, a production of the Discovery Institute. On this episode... Is there something to be said about the nature of this technological advancement being so rooted in the American experience? I think so. The United States has produced uh, a ridiculously rich and deep selection of innovations, of inventions, of new ways of thinking. And I think there's no way to deny that we've come up with a a formula that brings out the best in people, that makes a virtue of freedom above all. It's put us in the position of leadership, of world leadership. It's put us in the position of uh, the most admired, the most reviled, of course, as a matter of course. That and more on this episode of Great Minds with Michael Medved. Here's Michael. Welcome to Great Minds with Michael Medved. And the title of our podcast lets you know, I think, who I am. And our special focus on this series of podcasts is exploring timeless ideas. Uh, permanent questions, uh, enduring questions. And we do that with some of the greatest thinkers on the scene today. And today, I have the great privilege of speaking with one of the greatest and most wide-ranging minds of the 21st century about an ultimate, very appropriate question, the nature of mind itself and whether artificial intelligence can ever truly match or somehow join with the human consciousness. Uh, My guest is the polymathic Yale computer scientist, David Galerner. He's the author of The Muse and the Machine, Computerizing the Poetry of Human Thought, and Machine Beauty, Elegance and the Heart of Technology. Now, David's interests, his accomplishments, his areas of expertise if I were to list them, would probably take up the rest of the entire podcast. They include painting and music and American history and, yes, politics, where David is a prominent political commentator, and he is, of course, much more. Uh, David Galanter, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. First of all, maybe you can explain in terms that even lay people can understand. You are... Primarily, uh, you have been a computer scientist. You've taught computer science for 30 years at Yale, more. Uh, You can explain your area of focus right now in your field of computer science. Within computer science, it's um, AI, artificial intelligence, which is a fascinating, enchantingly fascinating field. And um has extraordinary open questions um is a field in which uh brilliant thinkers have made a lot of progress and yet we are uh extraordinarily far from reaching the goals even even fairly conservative statement of the goals that that, that we'd like to reach so we're way off but the going is fascinating as we work our way very slowly forward Would you say, is it fair to say that the uh, human mind is a form of computer? I think that's a sort of cheapskate way of describing the mind. Um, It is a form of computer in the sense that you could say it's a form of cash register and it's a form of uh, sports betting calculator and it's a form of spell checker and so forth. You can do a lot of things, but um, its capacities are far, far beyond 
the capacities of any computer that exists and also beyond the capacities of the theoretical computer, which uh, the great mathematician Alan Turing defined back in the 1930s and has served as a, a theoretical touchstone for computing and mathematics ever since. So we're way off. Uh, uh, our actual computers get nowhere near the mind's capacities, but even a theoretical computer that can do every computation uh, we can describe is far short of what the mind itself can do. Ray Kurzweil, I know you referred to, who's a technology guru, has uh, written about, spoken about a singularity, that we are approaching the possibility of a melding of mind and machine. Is that uh, an accurate prediction? Well, I, I think that kind of catastrophe is uh, very unlikely. Um, we've shown enough discipline not to blow ourselves up with nuclear bombs uh, for many decades, for several generations. And I think we'll show the discipline to uh, restrict the damage we do with AI also. Now, we don't know how to do what Kurzweil describes. We don't know how to uh, build software that uh, is anywhere near the capacities of the human mind. But we are making progress. And uh, there, there, there are dangers. Um, it's not as if we're, we're home free. Um, but I, I think and, and, and hope that the public at large, the thinking public, whatever you want to call it, the educated public, is going to come to grips with these issues. It too easily dismisses them as technical stuff we don't need to worry about. We can leave to uh, Ray Kurzweil. But <laughs> if you do that, you'll regret it. Okay, speaking of things that you, you will regret, you, you've written about, and it's extraordinary coming from a computer scientist, and you're a second-generation computer scientist True. too, aren't you? Your dad taught computer science. Well, he didn't only teach it. He was one of the inventors in the, in the 1950s. He was one of the first three practitioners of artificial intelligence and developed at IBM Labs, at IBM Research Labs, uh, many of the tools that continued in use for for decades. So he was uh, an inventor and a pioneer, true. Yes, which, again, is fascinating. I want to come back to that for a moment. But in terms of future generations of children, you've warned about some of the perils of uh, providing computers and unlimited access to computers to children at very young ages. What would you recommend uh, for people who, well, for instance, our son, we've just welcomed our first grandchild, oh, and she's, awesome. thank you, well, she's, the, of course, the most wonderful and extraordinary baby ever created, and, uh, but she also is, wants to, uh, she has an instinct, it's, it seems to be hardwired, to grab hold of the iPhone uh, of her mother, and, and to use it, and to manipulate it. Should um, Do you think that, that it's a good idea to provide babies, very young children, with access to computer technology? I think it's a lousy idea. We, yeah. we, we already see um, in teenagers, high school students, um, college students, uh, those who are not only well-educated but very smart, uh, who can't spell, who can't... Um, write in a in a comprehensible way, in a cogent way, 
um, who have no concept of what it means to research a question other than uh, uh, typing a few words to a, to a web search engine. And this is um, irresponsible of, of the parents and teachers uh, to allow uh, children to grow, to rear children without allowing their minds to develop uh, the way they should and the way they naturally can. And children need to play with each other and to be by themselves some of the time and to read a lot of books and to romp outside. And I don't think they need to touch a computer until they're uh, in their teens, at least. And now you, again, you grew up in a household where your father was a groundbreaking and, and um, celebrated scientist uh, and computer scientist. You also are identified as someone who has been an advocate for the necessary role in American life of religious faith. Uh, your book, uh, Judaism, A Way of Being, is a profound and pro-religious book. W was your upbringing religious? Uh, yes. Uh, my grandfather, blessed memory, was a, a, a rabbi in Brooklyn um, and... Uh, saw to my Jewish education, as my parents did also, and as Yale itself did. Yale it, it has, has in the past, staged wonderful Judaica courses. It varies, you know, from decade to decade. But, um, yeah, I'm lucky to be able to say I, I had a good Jewish education, and my wife and I have done our best to pass it on to our boys. Uh, how many boys do you have? Two. Oh, wonderful. And um, in in terms of the the idea of human beings and machines, uh, do we have any <laughs> any example of uh, artificial intelligence uh, seeking religious answers the way that human <laughs> beings do? Well, artificial intelligence programs are are just programs. They're just software apps that you can download or, or buy at the drugstore or wherever you buy your apps or download them from. Um, and like any programs, they do exactly what they've been told to do, what they're programmed to do. Um, AI programs are generally uh, aimed at a specific problem, uh, playing chess well or playing some other game or, or simulating uh, the reading of English or attempting to translate from one language to another or making a robot uh, behave in, uh, in, a, in a somewhat intelligent way in the real world. So um, if one, one could very easily find a graduate student and say, write some software that will seek religious wisdom. And uh, how would you manifest that? Well, I guess the, the, the program would, would uh, type on the printer, display on the screen, uh, who are we, is there a God, how, how, how am I going to find out one way or the other? Um, this has been bothering me ever since I was lithoed in the factory. Um, but what would that mean? It's just um, uh, output generated by uh, complex electronic circuit. Um, when I say no, I don't know of any program that does that, it really doesn't mean anything because it would be trivial to do but would be a meaningless accomplishment. In a, in a deeper sense, has a program been written 
that in the way a human child can do, uh, can wonder. I uh, can be amazed or astonished and look around and say, what is all this stuff and what am I and what am I doing here? Uh, a genuine intelligence. Uh, it's a fascinating problem far, far beyond our capacities. We don't know how to get with anywhere near that. Um, so it doesn't exist because it's impossible currently. With current technology, we don't know how to do it. Um, we know how to get considerably closer to it than we are now, but fundamental questions remain. Will we ever solve them? Possibly. There's no theoretical reason why we should not solve them someday. But we don't know how. We don't know how to proceed. It's a mystery. When you talk of, about a mystery, I mean, obviously, so much of, of your work has been at the cutting edge of technological sophistication right now. And yet you yourself and your father and your sons uh, have all applied themselves to trying to take meaning uh, from texts that date back to the Bronze Age uh, that are very, very ancient indeed. Why is that an appropriate endeavor for people? We need to uh, connect ourselves into a tradition firmly rooted at the beginning of time, at the beginning of human time. Um, we, we feel the need to be part of a rooted structure as opposed to a piece of tumbleweed. And uh, a Jew uh, or an American or a Westerner, I mean, one has all those identities simultaneously, those are three extraordinarily rich traditions and they're self-evidently rich. I think it doesn't take a lot of wisdom to see to see the wisdom in these traditions and to to hope and wish to be informed by by some of the knowledge that uh, animated uh, Jefferson or uh, Churchill or a Disraeli or a million other uh, thinkers, politicians, statesmen, artists, and so forth. The richness of our traditions is so deep and dazzling that you really can't miss it unless you try. And you, you write about, you use a, a phrase that I that I, I love in uh, your book on Americanism. You use the phrase Puritan Zionism. <laughs> and, and usually when people use the term Puritan, they use it as a pejorative. They use it as some kind of insult on yeah. people. Uh, explain what you mean by Puritan Zionism. I, I have to say, you're, you're certainly absolutely right that Puritan is used pejoratively, which is uh, enormously unfair. I mean, the Puritans invented the United States of America. It turned out to be a pretty good idea. <laughs> and um, it shouldn't shortchange them. Puritan Zionism, um, the idea that um, uh, America would be a city on a a city on a hill, um, an idea that appealed to John Winthrop before he had even landed at, at Boston while he was in 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 mid-journey, uh, that many of the early Puritan settlers and the pilgrims among, the, among others uh, recurred to. That is, their goal was uh, not to own the world or to uh, manage or rule the world in the sense that... Uh, the British Empire at the time was moving in that direction, and other European powers were too, but to inspire the world. It was the 
firm intention of the founders of the New England colonies, and of some of the southern ones also, uh, that they would build something so good that nobody could ignore it, that uh, so dramatically obvious the way to go, obviously the way to go, that uh, it would be imitated all over the world. And and again, this is a sort of a multi-part question, and it's just a line of argument that I'd like to try out on you, David, which is that um, one of the things that's truly remarkable in American history, and it relates to several of your areas of concentration, is how many of the groundbreaking technological breakthroughs have occurred in the United States, particularly over the last, say, 150 years. Uh, I mean, it's astonishing when you when you look at it because we're not that large a portion of the world's population. And yet, so many of the gifts from the electric light to the phonograph, and yes, Alexander Graham Bell was from Scotland, but he developed the telephone here to automobiles being developed here and airplanes and, and computers is... Is there something to be said about the nature of this technological advancement being so rooted in the American experience? I, I think so. I mean, to be fair, the Germans and Austrians will be outraged because they invented the <laughs> car in sort of a preliminary way. And certainly the English played a fundamental role in, in all sorts of things. And yet you're absolutely right, or, or I am, if I make this assertion, I'm not sure, but the United States has has produced uh, an, uh, a ridiculously rich and deep selection of innovations, of inventions, of new ways of thinking. And I think there's no way to deny that we've come up with a, a formula that brings out the best in people, that uh, that makes a virtue of freedom above all, of, of not butting in, of not, uh, to, to put it in a negative way, but that's what freedom really is, not bothering other people and allowing them to do what they want to do. And does that work? It certainly does. It's done uh, as all the world can see. It's uh, it's put us in the position of leadership, of world leadership. It's put us in the position of uh, the most admired, the most reviled, of course, as a matter of course. <laughs> no, but also in on the ground, the most admired nation, the one the one traveling to which so many people set out as they did in the 17th century, um, we've succeeded on an enormous scale and our basic ideology is freedom, or you might say freedom in a biblical setting. And and by the way, this is all very consonant with what one of your Yale predecessors, uh, Samuel F.B. Morse, was all about. And I say one of your predecessors because he was a painter and he was a theologian and a deeply, deeply religious man who also invented the telegraph. And the first message that telegraph sent, as every school child used to know, was what hath God wrought, which was a, a biblical citation, an Old Testament citation. And Morse saw the whole glory of the telegraph as being able to spread the gospel and spread what he considered to be ultimate truth. And yeah, we're concerned with ultimate truth, as is David Galerner. I, I so much appreciate your contributions in this conversation. I encourage the audience to investigate all of your work further. You can find out all about his books and about his most recent columns 
uh, by checking us out at mindswithmedved.com. Go to mindswithmedved.com. And while you're there, please do donate as generously as you feel motivated to do. Because as our friends and sponsors at Discovery Institute will confirm, quality programming isn't entirely free. We need your support. And while you're at the website, don't forget to subscribe. It is a free service. And if you subscribe, you'll be able to rest assured you won't miss a single future edition of Great Minds with Michael Medved. Thanks for listening to Great Minds with Michael Medved, available at mindswithmedved.com. Great Minds with Michael Medved is produced by Jeremy Steiner and Greg Tomlin and is copyrighted by Discovery Institute 2018.